take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hello, everybody. This is Beth Estock. Welcome to this episode of Field Preachers Podcast. I am delighted today to be talking with Beth Evers. She's the pastor of University United Methodist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, I know that this she's not pastor of a new church start, how we normally uh, interview people, but she has some beautiful stories to tell about um, how a church that's over 100 years old um, renews itself and adapts. And as a matter of fact, I just peeked on their website, and when she talks about their church history, she says this, the church recognizes the importance of adapting and learning new ways to share the love and grace of God. So today, fasten your seatbelts, because we're going to learn how University United Methodist Church in Fort Worth has done just that, as Beth is now in her 10th year of ministry there. Welcome, Beth. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you here. And I think I want to get started by just asking you, what was it like when you first came to uh, University Church um, nine years ago as it was celebrating its 100th anniversary? It was exciting. University is in the center of Fort Worth. Um right on a busy commercial street across from a large university. And I knew right away it had all the potential in the world. And, and it's had some struggles and um, there was a lot of healing work to be done, a lot of foundational setting to be done. And um, I immediately had to, to be patient and, um, set the mindset that that it will take a while for us to make changes and learn to adapt and try new creative things because some of that healing internal work had to take place first. I love that you said that because I think a lot of times, um, you know, church leaders, churches go to training events like how you can grow, you know, the 10 steps to growth. And all you have to do is follow this, this recipe and your church is going to come out at the other end thriving. And um, I think that that kind of approach does damage because now in a post-Christendom culture, so many of our churches are dealing with a lot of trauma. They're dealing with a lot of um, healing that needs to take place. And um, that really is the important first work to do before any growth can happen. Yeah, trust building was in continues to be paramount. Um, I remember in my first sermon, so the first time they met me and I met them, I made them one promise um, as far as our time was together. And my only promise was that I was going to mess up. And that I was going to own my mistakes and we were going to work through it together and not give up on one another. And other than that, I haven't made them any promises because I don't think we can. And I definitely don't think we should. 
Um, there's just so many things that um, we can't predict and we shouldn't try to. And we need to get to know one another and the community we're in before we can begin to do any any of that kind of work of of growth. And so that was the only promise I've ever made them. And have you kept your promise? <laughs> oh, I have messed up plenty. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it's a good promise to make because I, you know, I make I make good on it every day. Well, um, how did you have the wisdom to introduce yourself in that way? I mean, if you're around church long enough, no matter where it is, whether you're in the pews or you're the pastor or you're on staff, um, you've seen time and time again, pastors get put on a pedestal um, or pastors put themselves on a pedestal and eventually that thing's going to crack. And um, I didn't want to be on there and uh, I didn't want them to put me there. I didn't think they would, but I wanted to be pretty clear from the beginning that I am in as much need of forgiveness and honesty and grace as they are. And that's just the commitment I wanted to make to them. Um, I don't, I don't try to make mistakes and I hope not to, um, but I, I want to stay humble and grounded enough to know that that's going to happen. And the only way we can work through it is with honesty. Mm -hmm. I don't know at the time, if you were thinking about this, but I always say that if any organization is going to innovate and be relevant, that it really is a process of failing forward and um, using um, the experimentation as fodder for learning and growth and failure really um, helps us do that very quickly. So um, just, just for the fun of it, can you tell us one of your big, your big fails? Oh, there's, there's so many. I, I, I want to tell a really great story. So I'm pausing, not because I don't have plenty of content, but I want to make it really good. Right. Um, well, and this one kind of involves you, Beth, actually. Oh. Um, we took our whole church staff to weird church camp mm -hmm. and, um, we did exactly what you said. We came back and the first Sunday back completely changed the worship order. We were going to turn Sunday morning worship into campfire um, worship without any warning, having only dreamt this up while we were in the high altitude of Denver. And that's been the first time that I got a letter followed by an appointment in the next week. So not that it was a bad idea, but, oh, we just took the wrong approach completely. So no more campfires for us. So you got a letter and uh, you had a talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what happened after that? There was, it was a really good conversation. And um, it just was a reminder of what I already knew that um, change especially in this place, especially with organizations of people, it takes time and it takes buy-in. And as a leader, even if you know where you're going, even if you know where you're leading, 
a group of people and you're already there, you have to remember that they are not there. And they're going to have this whole process that they go through where they fight against it and they try it on for size and they grieve what is changing. And then hopefully they get there with you. Um, And we just, we blew right past all of that. And um, it was a huge mistake. It, It just really was. And we reoriented and um, ended up, I think, in a far better place. But we had to we had to mess that up really royally first. And what was the far better place you ended up in? So we had at the time um, two Sunday morning services um, that looked like a lot of United Methodist Sunday services. You called one traditional. You called one contemporary. Um, and we, we sit in a church building that's almost a city block long. The sanctuary seats 400. Neither of those services were working in there. And it took us a long time to figure out that we needed to break the molds on our worship services and completely reimagine what those look like. And in the end, what we came up with um, was a brand new service called Wiggle Church and then two Sunday morning services that um, fit the congregation, have an identity, they're housed in the right space in the building. And we invited the leadership and the congregation of the church to help us see that vision and bring it into real life. And that made all the difference. I do want to talk to you about Wiggle Church, but before we get there, just give us a clue as how long that process took from knowing that things needed to shift and worship needed to look more contextual and fit in the spaces. And when you finally kind of figured that out. Well, if you count the probably three or four years where we knew it didn't fit, but we didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say after we made the decision that something had to be changed, um, it was at least a year. It was, um, uh, we had a team of, we had a team of leaders that met every other week for at least six months and we, we looked at this whole thing from a number of different angles. We looked at hospitality. We looked at worship. We looked at identity. We looked at congregational care. And it was through those conversations that um, honestly never had an agenda or a result in mind that we were, we were finally able to start to get to that organically. And then you move into the planning phase and then um, the initiation and the implementation. Um, And it took at least three or four months after we knew what we were going to do to be prepared before we launched. So it was it was a long time coming and lots and lots of people were involved in those conversations. I really love what you said was at the beginning when you began the conversations, um, everything was on the table 
and you didn't have a, okay, we have to have a strategic plan and how we're going to do worship by X date, but let's just start talking and looking and uh, seeing things from different angles. And in that process, things started to bubble up. Mm -hmm. And then after those things started bubbling up and you kind of, okay, we, we have some sort of direction. How then did you move to get buy-in from the congregation or move forward? So what was interesting about that group of people, um, they came together really organically. They weren't elected. They weren't nominated. Um, they were people who had gone to a training and wanted to continue the conversation. And then those people knew the right people to invite. And um, there were times I couldn't get them to stop meeting and then they'd want to come back in two weeks. So the, the energy was right. And then once the, the plan started to come together, um, we knew we needed to have the buy-in of the church leadership. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's risky when you start talking about worship. Oh yeah. Um, It's, it's hard because those are such important memories and traditions and rituals. And so what we did, because we were talking about moving space and changing all sorts of things, um, we actually had our leaders move from space to space and we switched the space so that they could see what we were imagining. So when we went into the sanctuary, we showed them what it would be like when we moved out all the band equipment and we brought in pyramids and we rooted it in scripture and we rooted it in, we talked about the kind of person who would come to each of these services. And then we brought them back into the fellowship hall and we had tables set up to show them what that would look like. And then we, we changed the room one more time and we had uh, streamers and, and um, things for kids to play with. And we showed them what that would look like. And it wasn't until they could see and feel and hear the, the scriptural underpinnings of all of these that they really um, got excited about it. And um, we have a, we have an agreement in the church that unless the book of discipline requires it, we don't vote on anything because voting is somebody wins and somebody loses. And so whenever we can, we choose to bless things. Mm -hmm. And so that night we blessed this new plan. And then we spent the next several months getting ready and, and, and launching them. And so by the time you launched, you had, you had excitement. People were talking about it. Um, There was a buzz. Yeah, there was. And there was also, um, as we're talking about it, I remember there was an openness to uh, adapting the plan because we really thought that our service that um, has the praise team lead and it's a hybrid of preaching and teaching, we were convinced that it was going to be named the living room. And we thought that was just the greatest idea in the world. And um, we were well into this thing. And one of one of the leaders in the church said, that will never be a living room. It is a cafe gymatorium. It will never, <laughs> it will never be a living room. 
And we went back to the drawing board and came up with, with the right name for it. And so even, even though we were down the road making plans, we were ready to hear from people and pivot where we needed to. And we're still doing that. Um, I love how you've just explained the, um, the structure, the rubrics of an innovation cycle, mm-hmm. where you plan, you launch, and then you assess and adapt. And this, this innovation cycle continues. And once that, I think once assessment is built into a community of faith, where you can assess what works, what doesn't, what do we need to change? It actually builds this um, this culture of adaptability and, and flexibility, where that becomes the norm state. Because uh, failure is failure is blessed because it just gets us to the next place. Yeah, yeah. And truthfully, we're in the midst of that now. Um, the one service that we we felt like we were pretty confident about it it needs some work. We're not there yet, and so we're. We're working on that as a team, and um, I am actually excited that we have to kind of go back to the drawing board on that one, because um, I think whatever's going to come is going to be so much better than what we dreamed of. Awesome. Well, um, let's go to Wiggle Church, because um, uh, in as I travel around and listen to churches, I can, I can, you know, this is, this is a common theme. We have a preschool but none of the preschool families come to worship. And we built the preschool because we wanted to um, open, uh, open uh, ourselves to having more families and it's a bust. Yeah. Um, so here you are, you have a, a church sponsored preschool. You have a similar kind of situation where you probably aren't having a lot of those families then transitioning into a Sunday worship experience. And tell us about the process of struggling with that and innovating around that. I think it became most apparent. There was, I don't know, there was one day one of the parents said something to a teacher or the director down there um, where the parent who had been here for a long time said, well, I never knew that was in a church. They dropped their child off every day and didn't realize they were in a church. And this is a church-sponsored preschool. Oh, it, it we are them, they are us. It, yeah. <laughs> this isn't even like we just house them. This is a ministry of the church. Yes. And this family had no idea they were sending their kids to the church. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that 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 gets you in the gut, right? Um, and we knew it we had to do something. And, um, one morning just out of the blue, and this doesn't happen very often, but this whole idea just flooded into my head Hmm. and, um, the spirit was just, was just working. Um, and it became really clear that, that these families were not going to come to our Sunday morning services. Um, and so I played around a little bit. Um, remembering what it was like when we had three kids this age Mm -hmm. and especially what was it like to be a working mother? Um, 
And it's so hard to make connections at work because work is supposed to be the, the focus there. And it's hard as a, as a mom to bring family stuff in because it just affects the work balance and how you're perceived. Um, and then I didn't connect with the, the moms who didn't work full time mm-hmm. because their stress is so much different than a working mom's stress. Um, and so it was very isolating in this time where these three lovely human beings just sucked everything out of me. And there was no place to be refilled with people who were at a similar stage. And so I kind of thought, well, if I felt that way, others may be as well. And then just sort of looked back and and said, what time, because Sunday mornings isn't working, Mm -hmm. what time would be a good time to offer worship? And in our house, we called between 5.30 and 6.30, the witching hour, um, because everybody is hungry. Everybody is tired. Nobody wants to cooperate. And you have this expectation that dinner should be family time and it should be really great. But nobody is present enough because the adults are cooking and the kids are whining and it just was always stressful. And so I thought to myself, what if we had church right as the school closed? So nobody went home, nobody had to come back. And we, we told everyone by the time you're finished with worship, you will have connected with other adults. Your kids will have been run around and tired and everybody leaves fed spiritually and physically. And I thought that's something I would have loved. Yeah. I would have, I would have signed up for that. And so we decided to put it on Thursday, make sure everybody got all the way through the week and it, it could become almost the unofficial start to the weekend. You've only got to make it through one more day. And um, so that's where the brainchild for Wiggle Church came from. And then how, so you had this great, brilliant idea and how did it become reality? Well, thankfully, um, our conference offers grants for new faith communities. So that's where we got started. We had seed money and we purchased T-shirts for every child in the school. The little babies got bibs. They say Wiggle Church. And um, we just did a series of announcements to the school. Um, We're going to have worship. um, Just come at 530, come as you are. Um, if your kids wiggle, if they giggle, if they, if they get up and move, everything is okay at Wiggle Church. You don't have to be church quiet and you don't have to be church dressed. Um, and we just started letting people know we had greeters who would stand on the entryway where people were picking up their kids and we'd say, you don't want to cook tonight, do you? Come on in to worship. <laughs> and um, so we launched in September of 2019. And um, we had a number of families come and we really were, were hitting our stride um, in February of 2020. And a lot of families were 
were coming, they were really connecting with one another. Um, we had one family that had a baby. And so we threw them a wiggle church baby shower and it just, um, they were really forming community and it was, it was really great. And then, and then we had to take a break, um, when we, uh, all sheltered at home for the pandemic. So is Wiggle Church going to be starting up again, or how has the pandemic shifted ideas for that ministry? Well, we tried really hard to do Wiggle Church online. I mean, we tried fiercely, and um, it does not it does not translate online. Um, we we put on our best Mister Rogers and tried our <laughs> hardest. <laughs> it just didn't work. Um, we are back. Um, in person. Um, Right now we're twice a month and families um, leave with a meal. We're not eating together yet. Um, But that is, that's a real important part of Wiggle Church. Um, So, so they get a take home meal. And then in September, we will start back monthly or weekly. Um, But we're still going to take a pause on eating together, but everything else related to worship remains the same. And it's been really important for us to have ritual in Wiggle Church. Um, The age group that we're working with, um, and this is mostly preschool and early elementary, Mm -hmm. they like to know what to expect. And so we keep that consistent. And while it works developmentally, it also helps us to lay those spiritual foundations. And so Every week we start with the, the wiggle praise song. So they know what to expect. Um, every week we remind them of the five reasons we come to wiggle church and we have um, kinesthetic things that they can do with that. And it just lays the theological groundwork for why we have wiggle church. And then we have a lesson. Um, sometimes we keep everybody together. And we have a family lesson and sometimes we split and the kids go and they have an age appropriate lesson. And then I lead something for the adults, which is always fun to watch them kind of exhale when the kids walk away. Um, We always pray together for our meal. And um, then our children's director always leads a blessing at the end. Um, and she, and it's, it's the most beautiful thing I see every week. Um, she invites everybody to look one another in the eye and to say, I love you and God loves you. And you are a blessing. Mm. I'm convinced that there are parents who come just for that 10 seconds. Mm. Um, and it is, it's powerful to see families do that together. What, uh, what a healing gift it is for, um, children to say that to one another, for children to say it to their parents, for parents to say it to their kids. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She is incredibly wise. She created that, um, just out of the blue in our first session and it went over so well. It is, um, it is one of those things that Wiggle Church families will say, that's, that's something we've always done. <laughs> and we're not giving up on it. Hey, can you tell us what the five reasons are for Wiggle Church? Yeah, 
So um, we have a lamp. And so we have a child come up and turn on the light because Jesus is the light of the world. We have a child come up and hold a Bible because at Wiggle Church, we study God's word. Then we have the one that everybody wants to do is they get to come up and pour water from a pitcher into a basin. Um, because at Wiggle Church, we are, um, we, we're reminded that we're baptized into God's family. Um, then we have somebody come up when we eat in person, um, at the beginning of the meal, we all take communion together, but for right now, we just hold up a snack and we are reminded that we are all part of God's family. And then the fifth one is we have a treasure box and the kids come up and they hold the treasure box because at Wiggle Church, we share our treasures with God. Mm, Beautiful. And is all this around the table where they're going to be eating their dinner? So we set up the room. um, There are rounds um, that are set on the perimeter of the room and that's where they eat dinner. But um, we keep a wide open space for lots of dancing and running around. Um, and then at the back of the room, we have toys and mats because we want people to come in early and the kids play and the parents stand and talk to one another before worship starts. Beautiful. Beautiful. And how many, how many families normally show up pre COVID let's say. Um, pre-COVID, we were about to get to about um, somewhere between 50 and 60 people wow. um, every week. And right now, um, our school has had almost a complete turnover because they had to be closed for so long. Mm-hmm. So we're, re-inter- or we're introducing Wiggle Church to a number of people for the first time. And so we're I think we're up to about 40 to 45 people right now. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Beth, while I have you here, I would really love for you to share a little bit about um, Funky Town Music Academy, because this is another one of your innovations and church ministries that I think is fantastic. This is, um, this is really exciting. This is the brainchild of our director of contemporary music. Um, He had been doing lessons on the side. And one day he said, I'd really like to integrate lessons into the ministry. Do you think we could try starting a music academy? And so we said, why not? And so he has hired a number of instructors who work part-time. And um, kids and adults can come and have private music lessons. So we have violin and guitar and ukulele and piano and uh, percussion, drums. Um, But besides the fact that it's in the church and it gives people a safe way to enter the building, um, both for the instructors and the students, um, we're also working to create accessibility to music by keeping prices low Mm. and by offering scholarships and sliding scales. Um, Then they they do a couple recitals a year and the church comes and supports them. And then every summer they have a music camp. And so they introduce um, the students to 
a wide variety of music and um, teach them the fundamentals of music, but there is always an on-ramp to faith and to the church by the way that we do things and the values of the school, but then also invitations for the students to help lead worship or to help um, present a musical offering at church. Um, Or even because he he has a role with youth ministries, um, he has now started to bring some of the funky town kids into student ministries. And um, so it's just a beautiful interconnected web of opportunity for people to connect with the church. And when did Funky Town Academy start? 2019. I'm wearing this shirt, so I had to look and see what year. (laughs) So you launched all this stuff right before COVID. We did. Yeah, our timing is impeccable. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we're still in the midst of uh, the pandemic, uh, this Delta variant and um, this kind of on again, off again. We think that we're going to be moving forward and and we take two steps back. As you envision uh, your ministry and uh, what's going to happen with with these that you've shared with us today, what do you see unfolding in the future? We are um, we're working really hard to be patient, mm. um, and that's really hard. Our church was, um, especially for our area in Texas, one of the most cautious, and um, we were outdoor and online only um, until May. Mm -hmm. So we really were online a lot longer than other churches and came back saying fall of 2021, it's our time. And um, there's some grief in um, having to to push the brakes a little bit. And um, we've gone back to requiring masks and adapting wiggle church to not have dinner. Um, but we're also, uh, moving forward and that feels good. Um, and so it's just another opportunity to be creative. Um, but we are, we are having to convince ourselves of this as an opportunity more than others, because, um, our hearts are breaking for people who are sick and, um, we really, would love to see everybody have the opportunity to do those things that churches do so well and build community and be together. And we're, we're really hoping to get back to that soon. Uh, Beth, as um, people are listening to this podcast and are maybe in the midst of trying to start something new um, in the midst of redeveloping their existing congregation, can you um, share, like, I, I wish I would have known this or, um, you know, some wisdom as to, to folks that are on the journey? I think that what has been most helpful for me is to approach this church and this opportunity with a real deep sense of stubbornness and patience. Um, this church existed decades before I was even born. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole lot of history and routine and, um, patterns Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. that will not change quickly. So to be patient and to be curious about it, to honor where those things come from, to celebrate them, um, it's really important. Um, Church is sacred to so many people. And um, I'm, I'm just not the type who's willing to send people away flippantly, mm-hmm. but to help them see a place for them, even in a new vision. And that takes patience and trust building. But then you've got to also be stubborn and you've got to be stubborn in the belief that God's not done mm-hmm. and that Um, If we are willing participants to follow where she leads, the Holy Spirit's going to guide us in really amazing places. And um, so I'm just, I'm too stubborn to give up on this church or any church because um, God's plans are so much bigger than any sort of stumbling block that's laid in front of us. Mm. And with that, I think that uh, that's a beautiful place to to uh, end this conversation and as really a powerful blessing for all of us who are in the midst of this, uh, trying to figure out what's next. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Take care. You too. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.